It's great to be here today. Thank you for having me. If you have your Bibles with you, I, I would invite you to turn to Matthew 10. Here's the question. What does it mean to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus? In our passage today, Jesus gets specific about what his disciples are to do to further the kingdom of God. And unlike a sales pitch we might receive at our door or on our phone or via email, where the value of a service or appliance is hyped and the real cost is buried in the fine print, Jesus puts everything about his call to discipleship right out in the open for you. No trickery. No conning, no sugarcoating, no fine print, just the truth from the Prince of Truth. Let me just give you a quick overview of chapter 10. In the first four verses, Jesus defines the kingdom work of his disciples as casting out unclean spirits and healing every disease and affliction. In the next 27 verses, he tells the disciples they have authority. He tells them what the message is, that the kingdom of God is here. He tells them, if you will, what their sales territory is. He gives them a code of ethics for how they are to act. He spells out the hazards and the dangers of his mission. And he tells them not to be afraid. He tells them that they won't be left alone. He tells them, I've got you covered. And in the rest of chapter 10, starting at verse 32, the passage for today, Jesus spells out what working with him in the kingdom of God requires. And what it requires can boil down to maybe these three points. And the first point is working in God's kingdom means acknowledging Jesus Christ before all men. Second, working in God's kingdom invites conflict. And third, working in God's kingdom is really costly. So let's look at working in the kingdom of God means acknowledging Christ before men. And that is at the heart, the very heart of what you and I are called to do. You know, if you're following someone, you need to acknowledge who it is that you're following. You cannot be a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, and keep it a secret. Yes, there are places in the world where life does get very difficult if you claim to have faith in Christ, but even there, people are prepared to confess when pressed that they are followers of Christ. Or perhaps I should say, especially in those dangerous places, right? People are prepared to confess Christ. Living as a disciple of Jesus should mean that our life is somehow different. There's something about our attitude, our conversations, our behavior, and people ask us about it. Acknowledging Jesus is to be the very fabric of our lives, which is made evident in word and action 
What we say and how we live must be in sync. We cannot be a disciple of Christ if our life doesn't match up to the what we say. We cannot pick and choose and pick and choose what part of our lives will exemplify Jesus. We cannot say one thing and live another. A friend of mine uh, popped by to have a cup of coffee with me last week, and we talked about faith and service, and she said something that just made me pause for a minute. Sabrina, when someone asks me what I am, I do not say I am a Christian. I say that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. After a minute, I got what she was saying. Saying we are a Christian is more like identifying ourselves uh, in a census. It can be more of a cultural statement, a religious statement. I am a Christian as opposed to, let's say, being a Buddhist. But saying that we are a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus, is to acknowledge Christ in terms of our membership in the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus says in verses 32 and 33, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven, but whoever disowns me before others, I will disown them before my Father in heaven. To work in God's kingdom, we must acknowledge the son of that kingdom's king, right? We cannot be a follower of Jesus if we don't acknowledge him before others. Let's move to the second point. Working in God's kingdom invites conflict. And it invites division and invites trouble. Yes, you know, we, we do talk about Jesus being the Prince of Peace. And, and even at our church, we might sing Jesus, meek and mild. But this passage reminds us that while reconciliation and peace are the goals of our Christian walk, initially these goals are often not by acceptance, but by division. Think about it. Our first point was that working in God's kingdom means acknowledging the son of the king of that kingdom. Now, isn't it true of just about every king who has ever lived that their existence as a king invites competition. Kings may wear crowns, but they also wear a bullseye. Kings have to watch their back because they are the target of competition from within and without. From within, jealous pretenders and contenders for the crown may be plotting to take power. And from without, rival kingdoms want the king's wealth, want the king's land, want bragging rights for primacy in the world. I don't know about you, but for me, it's hard to imagine Jesus with a sword. Most of the paintings I have seen of Jesus have him holding a little lamb or playing with children. Now, Jesus isn't actually wielding a sword here, nor is he talking to us about war, but he does use the imagery of the sword to communicate something to us about division. A sword, amongst other things, slices things apart, divides. 
Controversy is a part of being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's unavoidable. Now, as Christians, as seminarians, as students here, we aren't going to be taking swords literally or figuratively to our classrooms or work or into our homes or churches, but controversy and persecution and division will come. There will come a time, if it hasn't already, where we as believers cannot be neutral on issues and allegiances. To work in God's kingdom means we have to draw a line in the sand on issues of morality, faith, orthodoxy, and worldview. The stand we take on issues as Christians will offend some, will turn off others, and will definitely make us the butt of jokes on late night TV or of discrimination and even persecution. Jesus quotes the prophet Micah when he says that obedience to God will cause even families to split apart. When we work in the kingdom of God, we put it out there just who our king is. We put it out there just what our kingdom is. And we step into a spiritual force field because the rival of the king of heaven, Satan who was cast down from heaven for competing with the king, is hell-bent on destroying us. Sometimes this rivalry shows up from within when churches or members of churches in the disguise of faith work their evil. And sometimes the rivalry is from without when the rivals of the kingdom of humanism or secularism or of other religions shut us down. Take a look at what Jesus says in verses 37 and 38. Anyone who loves their father or their mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, Jesus is not saying that following him means we can't love our parents. I brought my mom and dad today or our children, he is saying we can't love them more than we love him. When we say who our king is, when we say what our kingdom is, we enter a spiritual force field where what matters most matters most. No more having it both ways. No more hedging of bets. No more speaking out of both sides of our mouths. No more weekday citizenship in the world's kingdom and Sunday citizenship in God's kingdom. No more bricks and mortar morality and internet immorality. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Following Jesus is not easy. Our allegiance to Jesus means that we will continually make important decisions in our lives every day. Decisions that will cost us our relationships, our friendships, our family, our way of life. Following Jesus, truly following him in every respect of our lives will test our resolve and our character and our commitment. 
What I believe Jesus is saying is that we should love our family, respect our family, protect our family, but should the time come when we have to make a choice between following Christ or our family, Jesus is the choice we make. My maternal grandfather was born into a very strict, very religious Brahmin Hindu family. His family was well-educated, politically connected, and well-respected by the people in his city. When my grandfather decided to marry a non-Hindu and then take the step of becoming a Christian, he lost everything. Undoubtedly, his family loved him on some level, but he essentially became an outcast and lost all rights and privileges because of that one decision to follow Christ. A vow of allegiance to the kingdom of God had to be made, and my grandfather made it. So we've looked at how working in God's kingdom means acknowledging the Son of the king and we've looked at how working in God's kingdom invites conflict now third and finally let's look at how working in God's kingdom comes at a cost well, we see in our passage that not only are we called to make these difficult decisions but we are called to lose our life in order that we may find it And according to the Lord Jesus, the only way to do this is to take up our cross and follow him. Matthew's readers knew as they read this that if you were carrying a cross, it meant you were going to die. It was an inescapable fate. So while Jesus may have used these words metaphorically, this image held great weight. Following Jesus means following in his footsteps all the way to the cross. So where does that lead us today? Uh, We've read the fine print this morning. We've heard the sales pitch, as it were. We know that to take the call of discipleships means that we need to acknowledge Christ. It means that we know that conflict is inevitable and it means agreeing to the cost. Jesus says here that those who follow him must be ready to lose their lives for his sake. You know, we spend so much of our lives trying to attain and hold on to our lives. And Jesus tells us we should be ready to willingly lose our lives for his sake. I don't know about you, but that's a tall order. But the invitation is there. To live a full and robust, dynamic, brimming life in Christ means that we are ready to align ourselves with him. To swear allegiance to him. To give up our own priorities, agendas, and concerns, and preoccupations, and relationships. And to make Jesus Lord of our priorities, and our agendas, and our concerns, and our preoccupations, and relationships. Are we ready to take that step? 
metaphorically and maybe even literally to lay down our life for him? We can't sit on the fence when it comes to this decision. We can't say, let me just think about it. We don't get a 30-day or your money back guarantee. This type of decision requires an immediate response. But it requires one regardless of which one you make. We can't be neutral about this. We either follow Christ or we don't. You know, preachers like me throughout the ages have wished, have just wished they could sugarcoat this message. But if they themselves are citizens of the kingdom of God, they can't. Because the message itself is not sugarcoated. And preachers have been tempted to say that there are ways around what Jesus says. But when we are true to his word, we can't do that either. And preachers have been tempted to reinterpret the words of Jesus so that it just buys us and gives us just a little bit more time. But if we are true to his word, we can't do that either. But maybe I could leave you, students of God's word, seminarians, leave you with a word of encouragement today. Making the decision to follow Christ, making the decision to commit your entire life to Christ is one you will never regret. Although there will be times of difficulty, maybe even great difficulty, in it, you will find life and life more abundant than you could ever imagine. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we've had together in worship and praise and being in the word and hearing from the word. And Lord, I would ask through the power of your Holy Spirit, even in these moments today and this afternoon, this evening and the days to come, that you would speak to each one of us in a very deliberate and specific way. And I pray as you offer us once again this invitation, Lord, to follow you, that we may do so, Lord, knowing that you will never leave us or forsake us. In fact, you will give us life and life even more abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please, to receive the benediction? Brothers and sisters, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now, and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.